Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. So today we're in Judges 12. Judges 12, there's a conflict with Ephraim. You know, before we get into this, I want to ask you a question. Do you know those kind of people, they don't want to put in the work, but they try to steal all the credit? Ray, why did you look at me? I didn't. I'm just scanning the room. <laughs> they, they won't put in the work, but they want the credit. They won't put in the discipline, but they want the benefits. They want the blessing. But, you know, when it's time to really dig in and go for it, they're not there. Well, I want that, that, that's kind of something that Jephthah has to deal with today in Judges 12, and we're going to see how he contends with it. And uh, let's pray before we get into it. Father, I thank you for those who are here and those who are not here, Lord, either way. Lord God, that you bless those who have come so that we can take the blessing out to those who will come. Lord, draw your people. We ask you to draw your people in Jesus' name. Lord, we just want to be of encouragement. We want to be the body of Christ to them. Thank you, Father. We ask it in your name. Amen. So, okay, Israel had recently repented of their sin. God got real mad. He says, I'm done. I'm done. And it scared them. And so they, they decided we better get right. The, the, the wrath of God put fear in them. And so they found Jephthah, and he led them to defeat the Ammonites who had been oppressing them. And so they, they found Jephthah who led them to defeat the Ammonites who had been oppressing them. And though although they were victorious... Jephthah made some rash decisions, didn't he? He made some bad decisions that turned out to bring a lot of trouble. And they're about to get some trouble here. And I, I can't find a way to definitely connect that the trouble that he's about to deal with is because of what he did with his daughter that caused her death. I can't link that definitely, but I can say this. When you sin, it opens the door for a lot of troubles to come in behind it. That, so I'm not going to make a scriptural link on that and say this is why, but I am going to say it's just not that good to open the door for sin because trouble follows it every time. And here we are. I'm just saying this is where we're at in the story, that trouble comes in. So now in Judges 12 and 1, it says, Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over toward Zaphon, and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over? to fight against the people of Ammon, and did not call us to go with you. We will burn your house down on you with fire. Guys, I think they just threatened to kill him, just threatened to literally murder him. Ephraim had, has had trouble with the Ammonites in the past. They, they had trouble with Ammonites before too. And so they wanted revenge. We want revenge on the Ammonites. That's kind of why they were mad at Jephthah for going in after them. But to threaten to kill Jephthah for not asking them to help, this indicates there's something now wrong with the Ephraimites. They shouldn't have come at him like that. Uh, you know, this moment here with the Ephraimites is strangely familiar to me. When I think back to Gideon in chapter 8, they got mad at Gideon 
And they got mad at him for not inviting them to the battle with the Midianites. They did this already before with Gideon a long time ago. And they criticized and they insulted Gideon sharply for saying, hey, how come you didn't ask us to go with you? So it's, it's like they're doing this all over again. They're, they're doing the same thing now with Jephthah. So Judges 12 and 2. And Jephthah said to them, My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? I asked y'all to help. Oh, you didn't ask us. Why did you cross over without asking you? He's saying, I did. I did ask you. You didn't come. Fell on deaf ears. Ephraim has had some trouble with the Ammonites in the past. That's why they wanted their revenge right now. But the Gileadites were being oppressed by them. Very different. The Ammonites were in Gilead territory causing trouble. Ephraim really didn't have it all that bad compared to the Gileadites. It wasn't that bad for them. Why are they so mad that Jephthah had crossed over? And so he never got their help anyway, because really, I don't think they really cared about Gilead at all. They just wanted the credit. They wanted the victory that, Ephra- uh, that, that Jephthah had won. They wanted that credit. And so in this scenario, we can see that the Ephraimites were driven for revenge. But Jephthah's motivation was not for revenge. It was for survival. Jephthah's kind of like, they were in my land. They were not in your land. They were in mine. I'm in t- I, I have the right to go and cross over with or without your permission or your approval. I had to do it for the protection of my family. And so he had to go out, and he had to go out now and take care of the Ammonites. But the Ephraimites were not being oppressed at all. Very big difference. They, they had some trouble in the past, but they were not being oppressed. So the Ephraimites were being selfish. They were being hateful towards Jephthah because they were basically jealous that he had won a big victory and they did not. You ever known people like this? I used to be this guy. I used to be this kind of person. I wanted the victory. I wanted the blessing. Oh, Lord God, give to me. But I wasn't there to do the work. These people like this, they want all the glory, but they won't lift a finger to help. It's very frustrating. Now, I believe Jephthah's handling this situation properly. He's not taking any flack from the Ephraimites, and he certainly doesn't feel like he has to apologize to them for how he handled the situation. I crossed over. I took my life into my hands. I had to go deal with it. I asked you. You didn't come. He's not trying to appease them. He's not trying to soften it. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I guess I really should have asked you. you know, that's what people play today. Somebody comes and threatens my family. If you're not helping, I'm dealing with it without you. It's pretty much where he's coming from. This here is what you call a real man, guys. This is a real man. He goes out and fights for his family and his friends, and he does it despite the insults and the threats of the critics. We got a lot of insulting critics out there today, don't we? You can't do this. You can't do that. Says who? I've had that. We go. We prayed at Planned Parenthood yesterday for repentance, for the salvation of people, but against abortion. And I've had people tell me, you can't do that. I said, say, says who? God called me to do it. You know, when God empowers you to walk forward in a calling, when God puts a call on your life, you do not 
have to apologize to anyone for it. Nor do you need their approval to go and do it either. And if your friends won't support you, you might just have to go it alone. It happens. We've seen it happen in the gospel. We've seen it happen with the twelve. When a lot of people turned and walked away, that's no cause for you to sit down and go, well, nobody else likes it. What's it all for? And sit down and give up. Go it alone. It's a bummer, but go it alone. Support would have been nice for Jephthah had they supported him, but we have to realize the Ephraimites never empowered Jephthah. Who empowered Jephthah? The Holy Spirit of God empowered Jephthah. That's enough. That's enough. You ever feel like you're walking alone in your call? Feel like I'm by myself, Ray? Has the Holy Spirit empowered you? Yeah. You're, you're good. You're doing fine. I know sometimes we feel alone. We want people to get behind us and join in. He didn't need their tri- the, any other tribe's permission to lead the people that he was accountable for. Jephthah was accountable to the people of Gilead. They chose him and they said, let's lead, and God empowered him to do it. I'm accountable to these people. I'm acting. And he didn't need anybody else's approval to lead his people. This is why he told them in verse 3, the Lord delivered them into my hand. God did this. So why are you trying to fight against me? He asked. Jephthah's trying to indicate to them that their fight against him is also a fight against the Lord. If you're not supporting me, what God empowered me to do, then you're against the whole, then you're against what God powered, empowered me to do. It's not right to try to stop someone that has a calling of God on their life. The best thing to do for someone with a calling is get behind them and support them in that calling. Do not become a hindrance. And guys, I'm speaking from experience. I have been on both sides of this equation. I was once the hindrance to people who had a calling, and now I am the guy with the calling, and I have had it come back at me many times. It's tough, but you know what? God has empowered me, and it's good. Don't be a hindrance. Be a supporter. Judges 12 and 4. Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. The men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, You Gileadites are... You Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. Okay, so they had threatened to kill Jephthah, right? And Gilead, which marked them as a brand new enemy to contend with. They had just got done dealing with the Ammonites. Now we got this group to deal with. And, uh, but then here came the real activator of insult. This is what kicked it all off. It's brewing. But here's what kicked it off. They basically said, they had said, you Gileadites are fugitives. Basically, they called them a bunch of rejects. You bunch of rejects. You were actually one of us, but we wouldn't have you. And that's the big insult that kicked the whole thing. That's what kicked it on, guys. And so they defeated Ephraim because of that. It says that, because they said that. Now, talk about a one-two punch. That's what I see as a one-two punch. They just dealt with the Ammonites. They just beat these guys, and now they've got to deal with their own Israelite brothers. Very, very hard. You know, I can, it's one thing dealing with the world. I'm, I'm personalizing this scenario to me. It's one thing dealing with the world out there, the people that are against everything I stand for. But then 
to turn around and have some of my own Christian brothers come at me. It's happened. That is hard. That's hard to deal with, and you have to deal with it. It has to be done. But now they just dealt with enemy Ammonites, and now they have to deal with their own Israelite brothers. Tough. Judges 12 and 5. The Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? If he said no, then they would say to him, then say Shibboleth. And he would say Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan. There fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. Wow, (laughs) this is brutal. So they blocked off the Jordan River to keep them from getting away. Now, if you're wondering, because it kind of crossed my mind, if you're wondering why the Gileadites are being so harsh with them, then let's understand their perspective for just a moment before, before we move on. We've got we to get into their mind. They just spent 18 years of severe oppression under the Ammonites in their territory. The Ephraimites uh, didn't. They were way off somewhere else. They're just mad that they didn't get any credit. But the the Gileadites dealt with them directly, and it it was oppression. Oppression means murder. It means starvation. It means thirst. It means insult, hatred, anguish, and they are sick of it. They're tired of it. Enough is enough. And so they had gotten a real fear of God's wrath, and it it made them repent and try to get right with the Lord really, really fast. And after finally defeating their longtime oppressors, these Ephraimites that wouldn't even help threatened to kill them. Do you see why they're blocking off the the river and killing these guys? Because if they let these guys get past them, they're just going to go off and regroup and come back and start it all over again. This has to be dealt with now. We have put up with it long enough. I don't blame them. I really don't. It's sad to see it happen, brother fighting brother, but enough's enough. They're tired of it. They want to live right before the Lord. And so they have to take out all the Ephraimites who would try to escape so that they wouldn't regroup. Here's the neat point here. If they tried to get through their blockade by lying about it, by lying, by claiming that they were not an Ephraimite, then the Gileadites took advantage of their accent. What a, what a way to deal with the situation. Okay, say shibboleth then. Say shibboleth. They tried to make them prove it, but the Ephraimites could not make a sh sound. They couldn't do it. Shibboleth means river. It means river. So if they wanted to pass the river, then they would make them say river, like a Gileadite. Say river like a Gileadite says it. Say shibboleth. Sibboleth. They couldn't do it. And that marked them. Now, you're wondering, how can someone not be able to say, how, how, how can somebody not go shh? I mean, I've said shh plenty of times, shh, what? You know? How can somebody not do that? Well, apparently that sound was not required in their culture, and so they never learned it. For example, I can't roll my R's. <laughs> I've tried. It just fails miserably. I can't roll R's. <laughs> For those of you who speak Spanish, I want you to know that this gringo cannot roll his R's. I just can't do it. And so where I say Rio Grande, 
Uh, you ever been down to the Rio Grande? I, I've got friends that would say Rio Grande. Now, I, I could at least say Rio Grande, but I can't roll that R. I, I, I can't. I mean, I could do that, but not in my speech. It's, I, I just can't. It's not. It never was in my language to train me to do it. And so I, I just I can't do it. And so uh, I actually, it was funny, I actually found a YouTube video titled How to Roll Your R's, Exercises That Work. And they take a Q-tip and they stick it in their mouth and they do some kind of weird thing. I thought, no, I'm not going that far because every time I try to talk, I'm not sticking a Q-tip in my mouth. But it was this thing teaching redneck Texan English guys like me how to roll their R's if you wanted to learn how to do it. I just, I just, I can't do it. And I guess I could if I tried, but uh, one thing though, even though I don't know how to roll my R's, I really know how to roll my eyes. I can roll that. <laughs> so anyway, back to the Ephraimites, they physically could not cause their tongues to say shibboleth, river. Instead, they would say sibboleth. And that's what exposed them as the enemy as lying to try to escape, so they'd kill them on the spot. They could not allow these angry, threatening people to get back home and regroup. Couldn't allow it. And so they took advantage of their accent. You know, when somebody ever threatens to kill your family, they come up to your house and say, I'm going to kill you and your family in your home where you live. And, and, and they mean it. You have to act. You've got to do something. And they knew these guys meant it, and so they had to do it. This is why they were so forceful in their defeat against the Ephraimites. 42,000 men died in this battle. That is a very, very high price to pay for being jealous of Gilead's victory. They shouldn't have threatened to kill him over it. It's just a bad deal. Judges 12 and 7. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. Okay, so that's the end of Jephthah's story. And I can really relate to Jephthah because he was called by God. He was successful when the Holy Spirit empowered him. I've seen the Lord work in my life like that. But sometimes he made mistakes. And yeah, that's me too. (laughs) And you know, that's you as well. Somebody that's empowered to do stuff, but still you mess up sometime. And you know, just because somebody's not perfect and they make a mistake or two along the way, that does not give anyone the right to come and contest them. That gives you no right to contest them. I've seen pastors mess up, and it pains me. I mean, it really pains me to watch people in the news media and wherever else just strip this guy down to to nothing because he messed up. Maybe he messed up bad. Maybe he messed up not so bad. But they just destroy these guys. It hurts me. It really hurts me. To watch this because I know, and I've already been through it, I know that it's going to happen to me yet again at some point. Somewhere, somebody's going to see a fault and they're going to jump on me and they're going to do me the same way. That's why it pains me to watch them do that. But th- that's what they tried to do to Jephthah. They tried to come down on him. It's, it's not right. Now, those who rivaled him, they went down horribly. They went down bad. But Jephthah got to judge Israel another six years. So something I want to try to convey is you may have messed up a lot in your life and you're trying to walk in the calling of God that God has given you, but you messed up and that big bad mistake is just hanging you up and people are cashing in on this, trying to use it against you and they rival you and they contest you 
and they threaten you with it, you don't have to listen to that. Just walk on in God's calling. Keep doing what God told you to do. Let him deal with it. So anyway, he, kept, he got to judge Israel uh, for another six years, and that's pretty good. I mean, he messed up bad, but he did go to an honorable end for Jephthah. I'm very encouraged by that because that's the way I want to go. I want to go to an honorable end as well. Judges 12 and 8. After him, Ibzon of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons, and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage and brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. Now, there's more than one Bethlehem. Now, we don't know which one it is, but the Bible doesn't tell us which one that he's from. But what we do know about Ibzan is that he was a judge for seven years, and he had a very high status in the community, which is evidenced by the mention of his large family. When you've got a big family like that, when the Bible puts that detail, it means they had a lot of influence, and he used his good influence for the benefit of Israel. That's, that was a good man. And the fact that he brought in daughters from elsewhere, as it says, suggests that he looked for marriages for his sons outside of his own clan. Perhaps there's the possibility that this demonstrates a little reconciliation between the people of Gilead and Ephraim, that maybe he asked some Ephraimites. I don't know. It's not recorded, but it's the possibility that he asked Ephraimites to come in to intermarry. Maybe there's a little hint of reconciliation by this time now that, that could possibly be there. But anyway, he used that good influence for the benefit of, people, of the people of Israel. It looks like things were doing well. And so now uh, we are in Judges chapter 12, verse ha-ha-ha. Now you're like, what? And I'm looking at Byron. We are in Judges 12, verse ha-ha-ha. And the reason I'm saying that is because I was writing text to Byron on the computer while I was doing my study, and he wrote something funny to me, and I wrote, ha, ha, ha. And I thought I was texting it to him, but I actually put it in my notes. So I have right here, Judges 12, verse ha, ha, ha. So are you all ready for Judges 12, verse ha, ha, ha? I'm telling you, I make mistakes, all right? It's just part of it. <laughs> so Judges 12, verse 11, or ha, 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 whichever way you want to go. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel. He judged Israel 10 years. And Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Ajalon in the country of Zebulun. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the, the Parathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys. He judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, died and was buried in Parathon in the land of Ephraim in the mountains of the Amalekites. Wow, in the mountains of the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the enemies of Israel. So, wrapping up, uh, Elon judged Israel 10 years, which is no small task. Think about trying to judge Israel for one year, uh, six months. <laughs> That's got to be tough. He judged Israel 10 years. Now, not much is known about him, but he's in the text for the record of proving that God was able to keep Israel under godly leadership after they had repented in chapter 10. It's kind of interesting. You see a guy he judged, and that was it. And that's all you know about him. But Israel repented, and because he's there, the Bible has given us a timeline that says, look, you repented, I'm giving you good guys that kept you for a long time. That's worth mentioning. So whatever he did during his role, it was good, it was godly stuff, and it maintained leadership for Israel. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.